I'm praying that we have real revelation this morning and encouragement. I think sometimes we, we live discouraged because we're actually having the wrong conversation or we're speaking, we're asking the wrong questions. And we're just getting mixed up. There's lots of interference. And then we draw conclusions that never were meant to be. Um, which is why an attitude of lifelong learning is, is a good thing, which is questioning, questioning, questioning until one gets some kind of resolution to questions. Because life on earth relating to God is not always obvious. And I was thinking about, you know, Easter, when Jesus went to the cross, why did he go to the cross? For the sins of the world, which is for everything that people have done wrong in rebellion to God, whether they believe in him or not, is absolutely immaterial. If God is real, he exists whether you or I like it or not. It's like gravity. And that gets really offensive. It's really offensive to people to be told that things don't, you know, not everything depends on what they believe or think. Like not everything, things happen just whether you like it or not. It's kind of, well, that's not right. It's just the way it is. Spiritual truth has natural um, metaphors, if you will. Lots of the way the world works in the natural gives you principles for the supernatural. Uh, when, when, when Adam and Eve fell, um, when they got separated from God because they decided in ignorance to go, uh, we want to eat of that fruit. I'm not going to spend time there now. But when that barrier was created, the, the, the world became the domain of evil. The tangible became the domain of evil. All humanity and everything on earth became the domain of evil. Because when God had given Adam and Eve authority over the world and when they said yes to eating of the apple, and these are metaphorical, um, you know, some people will die in a ditch about, you know, whether how the earth was created and Adam and Eve. It's to get understanding of the meaning of life that's important. When, when evil came into the world through the decision of a human being, there was separation from God. And all, not only separation from God, but the authority that God had given to human beings to rule over the world was actually released to evil. And everything then became a question of God doesn't exist. He doesn't really mean anything. This is your world. You've got to work it out and you are in charge. And when Jesus came into the world, he came as the second Adam. He came into the world as the one without sin, as Adam, the first Adam was created to be. So if you want to know what human beings are meant to be like, you look at Jesus. Human beings without sin are what Jesus is. And Jesus walked on this earth and counterintuitively and counterculturally demonstrated. We talked about uh, talking about freedom of fear, a, a remarkable freedom from fear as he declared to people the full meaning of God and the full meaning of life on earth. And he said, if you want to know who God is, look at me. Which is full of pride and full of arrogance and full of presumption unless it's true. And so... Jesus is the only one who ties all his teaching to his identity. And he says, if, if, you know, all his teaching revolves around his, the revelation of him as the Son of God. And so when Jesus went to the cross, it looked like he had lost the battle. It looked like, uh, which was true on one level, it looked like human beings said, to, and, and the core of rebellion is, I want to be in charge, I want to be God. And when Jesus began to challenge the religious leaders, and when he challenges anybody, there's a choice. Do I actually submit to that challenge or do I actually say, get lost? And you will find in your life that many times you tell God to get lost. You just don't know it's God you're speaking to. Jesus went to the cross because that's what we wanted. You wanted it. 
He said, I'm, I'm tired of listening to somebody telling me what to do. I want to do what I want to do, so get lost. Which is another word for saying crucified. And you go, but I didn't know that. And he said, it doesn't matter. Truth is truth. Life is life. Decisions are decisions. Nobody is innocent. And he went to the cross for the sin of the world because he wanted to undo. God so loved it. You see, we say, why does God let all this happen? You say, God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world to pay the penalty for the price of the sin of the world. He revealed himself in humility as a suffering servant so that we could understand who he was. He didn't come in full glory like we would write the script, swoop in here on a Learjet and say, here I am, I'm God. He came as a baby so that you wouldn't be afraid. And he entered into the community, which is the best way to do mission work. And he became like us apart from sin. And then he spoke to us in our own language. And it started pretty well when he was healing us and saying, please help me, please help my mother-in-law, please do this, please do that, please do this. It was cool. But when he started saying, what are you doing and who are you and what are you about? And then he started speaking to the religious leaders and saying, you are like whited sepulchers on the outside. You posture like so spiritual, but on the inside, you are full of corruption and power play. And the truth that he spoke to them caused them to say, we've got to kill this guy because he's threatening our pensions. I mean, if you want to see reality, look at Jesus on earth. Because he cuts through all the human selfishness and pride and ego. And he really actually came also to say there is a God and how you live does matter. There is actually a hell. I don't often speak about hell. There is a hell. Hell is where God is not present. God doesn't create hell. Hell is just where... Where you go when you say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. He's, God weeps over it. Hell is the domain of Satan. And people can say, well, it doesn't, I don't believe that. And you say, fine, you don't have to believe it. It's not going to change it. It's not just a matter of opinion. You will die. That's another kind of bummer. Everyone here will be a f- you know, at a funeral where somebody else will be speaking about you. I often think, no, not me. I'm going to be immortal. But it's a reality. Everybody dies. We don't have any say over that. It's probably part of God's creation, created plan. So Jesus goes to the cross and, and he dies. And historically, you can go back to Israel and see where that all happened. It's the only time and only place in history, only place on earth where the founder of a faith or the greatest figure of a faith is actually seen, his grave is open. And three days later, as we talked about last week, he rose from the dead, which is absolutely crazy, irrational, impossible. Unless God is God. And if God created man from the dust, he can create, and woman from a rib, he can raise somebody from the dead. He can do anything. He speaks a word and things change. So you go, what? so, because I guarantee you if I interviewed most of us, there's this, we so want to believe some of these things and they're so hard to believe them. And we so want to say, yes, this is true. And then we have, but my life is so difficult. Or I've been praying forever for something to change and it never changes. And there's so many tensions in us that that struggle. And then some of you think I'm really dogmatic and narrow-minded when I start saying God is the only way and this and this this. You think, but what about all the other people? And I have to say to you that I trust God with all the other people. He loves everyone. 
there's a lot of damage done in the name of Jesus by Christians who start trying to say more than they have authority to say. There's a lot of judgment statements made from Christians about people. They they should just shut up because they don't know. And sometimes the way we speak about other people to God, he goes, do you realize you're talking about my, my, my son or my daughter? You're mouthing off about my son. And you're mouthing off about my daughter and I don't like it. And I don't care whether they're Buddhist or Hindu or whoever they are, they're my kids. And don't you dare speak about them like that. They're lost and I'm grieving over them, but I really don't like the way you're mouthing off about them. Even about the guys in ISIS, I don't like the way you speak. They are prisoners to something demonic. If you want to see hell, look at the worst expressions of hell on earth through human beings. That's what hell is like at the tip of the iceberg. We are capable, every single one here, of enormous damage and horror if you're you're desensitized into the place where that could be you. Don't ever think you're not. And so you have this reality of our reality on earth that is all mixed up. And then Jesus comes into this world and he goes to the cross and he rises again. And you go, so now we we wait for Christmas, I guess. What is the point of all of this? What is the point of... You know, Jesus has risen and then he pours out the Spirit in six weeks to give people some power to do some things and, and it's not so difficult. But at the end of the day, right now, here in Port Alberni, what's the point? And many of us kind of get the concept and yes, Jesus has forgiven me, but I've still got to carry on and God helps those who help themselves, which is a lie. I always have to say that. That's a lie. It's nonsense. It's not even in the Bible. It doesn't mean to say you don't participate. God helps people who can't help themselves. God helps people who know they're weak. God helps people who know they're sinners. God helps people who need a savior. I've got a note. It was, well, it wasn't a note. It was two lines in my email two days ago. And, they said, and some guy, his name's Jack Street. Don't know, have a clue who he is. Said, thank you for, he'd obviously been on the website. and said, thank you for sharing your story so vulnerably. I mean, we're going to come and visit in August, July or August. But th- and then he said uh, some little quote from somebody about the. It's it's like we all come to God, uh, and our s- sin or sin brings us to God. So sin, it doesn't matter, in one sense, what your sin is. We're all sinners, and we all come under grace. But what's the point of it all? And that's really where I, you know, because if if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything changes. If Jesus rose from the dead, then God is real. If Jesus rose from the dead, then not everything is truth. If Jesus rose from the dead, then somebody who is bigger than us has come into this world to say, I'm here to help. If Jesus rose from the dead and revealed God as a father and he opens his arms to us and says, I get you. I like you. If you were to actually be in my presence right now, just you and me, like, like Wayne said, I'm not going to bash you up for all your fears. I'm going to say, how are you doing, son? And for those of us who think if we come close to God, he's going to really cramp our style and we can't do the things we want to do. He's going to talk to us and by the time we finish, we're going to go, yes, 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 yes. But he's quite comfortable having us come and pour out our heart and say, I don't trust you. I don't think this, I don't think that. And most of the time he'll probably say, no, no, I I agree with you. If that was me, I wouldn't do that either. That's not who I am. And so we're in a battle. And the battle is between spirit and between flesh. And all of us 
are very, very, very at home in the flesh. It feels like the most normal, real, complete place we will ever be. And so our whole lives are spent trying to find fullness and wholeness through the flesh. And Jesus comes into a world full of flesh and says, what happens to flesh? Gets crucified. Gets cremated. Gets burned. And then what? You've spent your whole life ensuring, beautifying, having liposuction, um, retiring to look after the flesh. Everything in your world has been invested in the flesh. How the flesh can be beautiful, how the flesh can be comfortable, how the flesh can be secure, how the flesh can have sex, how the flesh can have drugs, how the flesh can have anything that makes the flesh feel okay. Because the flesh gets a little antsy. So it needs antidepressants and it needs lots of people and it needs all kinds of stuff. And so your whole life is spent looking after the flesh and then it ends up in a jar on a table. What an investment. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes. God says, I told you. Everything that gives me meaning in life, I look for in the flesh and other people, in circumstances, in wealth, in in travel, everything, because I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it, I need it. But it never stops needing. And every circumstance we covet, we want this, if I were just married, if I was just had three children, if I could just go on holiday, if I could just do this, and the flesh just eats us like the, the, the Bible talks about, it's like an open grave. It is insatiable. And we find that the things that the, at the core of our flesh, our desire for love and for joy and for peace and for goodness and for kindness, we try and get them through the flesh. And Jesus came and said, Honey, you're looking in the wrong place. You can get a superficial meaning of peace and love and joy through the flesh. But it all comes with a hook. Because it's tied to other human beings. And other human beings are just as warped as you are and I are. So we basically disappoint each other. We let each other down. And it always shrivels up. It always dies. And Jesus says, you're looking in the wrong place. Because life is more than flesh and blood. Life is spirit. And you go, I don't understand what you're talking about with spirit. And he says, I know you think it's just emotion. I am spirit. And what I'm coming to actually say to you, the point of the resurrection is to actually ignite your spirit. If you want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, You'll find it in the Spirit. You start hearing the Spirit because God has created us with a Spirit that we can't destroy. We can shut it down. But all the things you want actually come from the Spirit. But the flesh sabotages it really quickly and says, I can give you that. And linked in with the flesh is evil. I'll teach you how to get that. I'll teach you how to be self-sufficient. I'll teach you how to get gratification. I'll teach you. And everything comes with a hook. So we get imprisoned. So... What I'm sharing this morning, I, I hope, actually gives you a great relief and comfort. And sometimes you might spit stuff out and say, man, have I been chewing on the wrong thing or looking in the wrong place. And you know what all of us are? All of us have some in the right place and some in the wrong place. Which leads me to what I was going to talk about. In... in in Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's trying to talk about all of this. And he's talking about this tension between the flesh and the spirit. 
in verse 42, just because we're not going to have huge amounts of time. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now before he says that, let's just pull out some. From verse chapter 15 at the beginning, uh, Paul says, uh, what I received I passed on to you is of first importance. And then he describes this. He says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. just want to outline something here, that Paul is very diligent about saying according to the scriptures. It's a principle that's really important because a lot of people talk a lot of stuff which is not according to the scriptures. It's just according to the latest fad or whatever they felt or experienced. If it's not in the scriptures and it's not authenticated by more than one verse, then doubt it. There is, you, you have to be rooted in the scriptures. And laziness and experience is not an excuse because those can take you off very, very easily. So he says, according to the scriptures, he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So when Paul is writing this, he's saying that Jesus' resurrection was appearance was to over 500 people and in very personal ways to the disciples. And why did Jesus do that? Because he knows that human beings are fickle, They're also doubtful and this stuff is hard to believe. So he said, I'll give you people you can refer to. And in a sense, one of the things that we also need to learn is we need one another. We've already said that during the testimony. We need one another in order to make sense of the things that Jesus releases. Because if you follow Jesus or you try and make sense of Jesus, I can absolutely assure you he will offend you. He will challenge you and he will upset you. And you will walk out of the room so quickly in the presence of Jesus if you don't know really clearly that he loves you, he cares for you, and that he speaks truth. Because your spirit doesn't want to be offended. Somewhere along the line, you come to a place of going, Jesus, I give up. All right, I'm listening. The rest of it's defensive chatter to keep him away. That's why he was crucified, and that's why we crucify him. He's got this annoying habit of calling us on our stuff. Then what does Paul say? I mean, he gives us witnesses because we need one another to help us understand, all right? Which is cool. You don't, if you try and work it all out together, you will be the, you'll have the gospel created in your own image. It'll be really weak. It'll be quite self-absorbed. And God will always be nodding at everything you say. And it won't be God. It'll just be a small little irritating version of Christianity. What does Paul say? I am the least of the apostles and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. This is the guy that's God raising up to actually help Christendom for the rest. And he says, you know, my attitude was such I was killing people and then I, w- I, I was mousing off. I had, I had letters of authority to kill Christians in Damascus and Jesus met me on the road and he said, what are you doing? And I went, oh, and I'm blind. And God says, you're so arrogant, I'm going to strike you blind for three days because it's the only way I'm going to get you to shut up. And he was terrified. Absolutely terrified. Led into Damascus. Three days later, somebody comes and and Ananias and, 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 and lays hands on him. 
It's his brother Saul. You can actually be used to, to spread the kingdom all over the world. Most ridiculous word. Totally impossible. And yet it becomes so. And you try and work out that you know how God works in your own life. God is so much greater. And if, you're actually re- if, we, if we learn how to release our lives to him, things will happen. I had a, a, a picture at Soaking Prayer I'll just share with you to encourage you. Because God, I believe he wants to declare, and I am declaring it, that, that breakthrough is here. And the kingdom is here. And the heavens are open. And the rain's falling down. And you go, well, I don't see anything. He says, that's not the point. People were in the presence of Jesus and they didn't see the Son of God. The fact that you don't see it might have something to do with you, not the presence of God. And sometimes we're asking God to do things and he's saying, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, but you can't get out of your bubble so you can't experience it. And so Paul says, I encountered God where I realized that I was sincerely wrong. And he broke me. But he loved me enough to break me. And then my eyes were opened and my heart was set on fire and I started on a journey. And you know what? Paul only actually started ministry about 15 years afterwards in a public event because he needed time to be healed and time to be worked with and, and a whole lot of stuff unlearned. Many of us want to jump into all kinds of ministry when we haven't even actually dealt with the ABCs of our characters. And we don't get what we want within six months. We leave the church and go somewhere else because we've got a ministry God's called me and I'm doing it, damn it. You can always tell what the Holy Spirit is doing in somebody by their humility, by their teachable spirit, by their patience, by their willingness to serve. This is the nature of God. That's what he's like. And so Paul says, I am the least of them. I mean, he's, he could have so much, he could be boasting about so much, but he says, I'm the least. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. And then he goes on and talks about the resurrection. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the, le- the, s- the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as the, is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. You getting that? I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishables. Listen to this. I'm going to explain this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound the dead, will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now this is the part. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has swallowed up victory. You get that? (laughs) What that means, really simply, it really, it's, it's, When Jesus came, he came clothed in the imperishable. And what does that mean? It means that when, in the fall of humanity, this is cool, everything was, all the emphasis was placed upon the physical, which is the perishable. And the relationship with God was sabotaged, and you have a relationship with evil, which focuses on the flesh, because evil, that's its domain. There's nothing else it has. And when Jesus came, he began to say, the kingdom of heaven 
we've talked about this a lot, is about living life from the inside out, upside down. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So, why do you focus on the body when your spirit is the source of life? The spirit is imperishable. The flesh is perishable. So, becoming a Christian is a revelation that says, God, I have been trying to find life from my body, my mind, my heart, my relationships, my education, my work, my everything tangible. I have been trying to find life and I've come to the place that I'm never satisfied. And I also have come to the place that I have been trying to be God for me and I'm tired. And Jesus says, well, that's good because I took all that stuff on me on the cross. So if you want, I can release to you the imperishable and you can begin to come to life as you were meant to be. What does that really mean? It means that in each of every human being is a seed that is of the Spirit. And that seed needs to be activated in order for the spiritual to grow. Part of life is about learning that the physical is not something that fulfills. Now, you might be sitting next to somebody you think is going to fulfill your whole life. I can see a few of you nudging each other. Yeah, Sweet. It won't last. I'm not here to depress you. I'm just saying flesh does not fulfill flesh. And I'm afraid to break it to you. And I, I, I really just hold tight here. But you're not enough. You're not enough. And if the person you're next to ever thinks you are enough, then get them to go and see somebody. Because if you are the fulfillment of another person's need in all of their entirety, then you've got some issues. You're, you're, you're way too low. <laughs> I know it's hard to take, but for some of us, we're saying, thank God <laughs> I don't have to be enough. Uh, but you're not. Nobody's enough. No human being can fulfill another human being. The reason why so many people go through serial affairs or go looking for sex or whatever, it's because they, they never get fulfilled. They never get fulfilled. They never get fulfilled. They keep on saying, I'm going to find the right person. I'm going to find the right person. Well, the right person never stays right. That's said with a lot of passion. Um, <laughs> the right, you know, we always end up finding there's something wrong. Apart from Cheryl and me, but the rest of the world, you know, this is heaven on earth, but apart from everything else, <laughs> the human beings cannot fulfill each other. And so actually for the most fulfilling relationships, it's when the relationship with Jesus starts and then out of that everything else flows. I should stop here probably. Roland and Heidi Baker do this ministry, Iris Ministries in Mozambique, and they work among the poorest of the poor. And they talk about this tension of you see all the needs of every, everything and it's so much part of their DNA to go and help the physical uh, stuff there. And, and they wrote this, at Iris we would love to see Pemba look like heaven on earth, to see this nation transformed by a mighty visitation from heaven, to see poverty and sickness and evil eradicated. But Jesus said that the kingdom of God is not a physical place. He tells us that the kingdom of God is inside of us. We can all carry heaven inside of us. Outward physical transformation in Mozambique would be wonderful, but it is not enough for our human hearts. Our hearts are hungry for someone. 
We long to experience love, joy, and peace, that perfect love that is beyond expression. We long for God. Many people long for revival yet fail to understand that true revival is born out of an extreme desire for the person of Jesus. I believe that when we fall deeply in love with Jesus and he sits on the throne of our hearts, heaven begins. Some people try and follow the Spirit too much. And what I mean by that is um, they avoid Jesus. You can't know the Spirit of God without Jesus. And I was just thinking about this. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, uh, he was pierced with a sword in his side, a spear. And what flowed out of him? Blood and water, which is a sign of death. But what if it's also a prophetic sign from God that says, with death comes life? Because water is also a symbol of the Spirit. And what if God was actually saying, he's physically dead but spiritually alive? You can't kill him. And what if he says the same to you and to me? You see, the seed is something that needs to be awakened. The body is a shell. That's why this is here today. The body is a shell. And inside is the imperishable, the seed. And when you come to the cross, you begin to acknowledge that the body is not the be-all and end-all. And you say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me because I have lived my whole life trying to feed this body with this mind and this heart and everything that's perishable has been what I've invested my life in. And I'm understanding that I'm more than just a body and a mind. I am spirit. And it's my spirit that's actually going to live on. And some of us, we don't spend any time investing in our spirit. Our spirit is prisoner to our mind and our experience and our history. And everything has to come through that process, which means that God can't get in because we're so arrogant. We won't let him get in. At some point, I have to begin to say, I don't understand. At some point, I need to say, all I know is the good that I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. And I've tried my best. God, you know, I've tried my best. But even when I've tried my best, I am not happy. Those around me are not always happy. And, and if I'm trying my best in my own strength, I'm also probably a control freak, trying to make everybody else align up so that I can stay happy. It gets complicated. And God creates in us a, a seed of faith and a seed of life. And he says, that is what I have come to open up and nurture. When Jesus came from the cross and he poured out his spirit, he was activating the spirit in every human being who wanted it. But that, that seed in us cannot be activated without blood. You cannot say, God, I just ask your Holy Spirit to come and fill me afresh. And he says, I don't see any blood. And what do you mean blood? That sounds ucky. He says, well, either you die or Jesus dies. I cannot activate what's in you because it is in a shell of sin. So the blood of Jesus opens you up. And the Spirit is poured out to then say, let's start growing from the inside the things that are meant to be there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness will come through your relationship with me, my identity and your identity being one. And you're finding a confidence in life that comes from the inside, not the outside. Does that make sense to you? So what happens with us sometimes is we sort of uh, go, well, I gave my heart to Jesus and he took my old self and now I'm, 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 I'm fully his and, and that's wonderful. And Jesus says, I had more in mind than just salvation. I actually had 
a supernatural human being in mind. And what happens is we tend to settle. We settle for this. Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, you must increase, I must decrease. So we come to him today with some aspect of us because that's what we're aware of. In six months, he says, um, this is getting in the way. Remember with Peter, Peter followed him for a while, he was really passionate, and then Peter uh, said, I, I, can, you know, I know all about you, Jesus, I can be with you, and Jesus says, no, you can't. The, rock will uh, you know, the, the, the cock will crow three times. Peter had to learn that he couldn't do it in his own strength. After that, Peter spoke to lots of people and then he was healing people and then he found out um, he still had prejudice against the Jews, uh, the, the Greeks. In other words, there was this ongoing breaking. There was this ongoing, as Peter matured with Jesus, so the shells were con continually broken. You never end up being complete until you're dead. This just goes on and on and on. As you decrease, he increases. See, this is the body. The more the body decreases, the more the spirit increases. And the point of the resurrection of Jesus is that we would learn how to be filled with his spirit and change from the inside out. And the way we are changed, we people are waiting for prophetic words. They're praying. Honestly, life is really simple with Jesus, I believe. I think we complicate it because we want to I love the word obfuscate. We want to make it all murky because in murkiness we can kind of be innocent. If you want to hear God, just listen to what's going on inside you. Just listen. What fulfills, what angers, what rises up in you and stop blaming everybody else and going, if somebody irritates you, then what's that about? God has come that we might have life. I, I went upstairs last, uh, this, this morning and I found this fish still here. And I think I used it last week. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it to be here. Uh, still blown up. So I thought, well, I might as well get some mileage out of this thing. Might as well play with it again. Because I think it illustrates what we're talking about. This was used last week as a sign of the resurrection, but I'm not going to give that talk again. What, what is unique about this thing? What is the thing that's... This is, this is why Jesus went to the cross, by the way, and this is what we're talking about ultimately. What we're talking about is quite simply what keeps this thing afloat? It's going to go miles off somewhere. That's all right. I don't care. I don't know. It'll, it'll work. I haven't spent a long... What, what is, what's the point of this, though? Apart from being stuck now. Stop telling you what to do. There we go. Then we can... Um, anyway, the point of the, 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 the thing that the thing that's uh, working in... There we go. The thing, the thing that this is illustrating is really simple. It's what it's filled with that makes it float. It's what it's filled with that makes a difference. And it's not only what it's filled with. It's actually the communication between me and it. And when God went to the cross and Jesus went to the cross, he basically said, I want you to live in relationship to me. Got stuck there. 
I want you to live in relationship with me, filled with me in a way that will give you power. A way that will enable you to be what you're not normally. And so I want to encourage us. Jesus went to the cross so that our flesh would not be the source of our life. God will use our flesh to show us how to lean into his spirit. The flesh will always dissatisfy. And the spirit will always give us life. And our life is a journey of finding what that means. Let's stand. What would it be like for you to be filled with the Spirit of God? What would it be like for you to know that? You know, when you're a human being, without God, you're a shell with a seed. When you're a human being who has encountered God and the blood of Jesus has cleansed you, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you begin a journey of, Lord, what does it mean to journey with you? where he says, I will help you, I will give you power, I will give you resources. So as we stand here right now, you know, what are you trusting in? What are the things that give you life? Where is that flesh? And God's not angry about that. He's just showing us. He's not angry at all. He's just saying, you're never going to get fulfillment in the flesh. So if you're getting frustrated and you're asking me to give you fulfillment in the flesh by fixing some other person, you're never going to get that answer. Not from that place. And if your happiness and your peace and your joy are dependent upon somebody else, it's going to be a very temporary one. It doesn't mean you don't get joy from other people. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means it's not the cause. By my spirit, you will have life. And so maybe there's some of us today who need to say, Jesus... I'm tired on my own. I've tried to actually live this life in my own flesh and I've never actually said to you, I'm sorry. Thank you for dying on the cross. Will you actually come into my life and set me free to begin to live spirit-filled? You can ask him because he loves to do that. Some of us, we started like that, but we've forgotten. We used to be there and then we got frustrated or we got disappointed. And God's just saying, you know what, that balloon up there, it cannot do without helium. It wouldn't be up there with just natural air. And you can't get up there without supernatural touches. So you need my blood to cleanse you.